Hello, 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 and welcome to my podcast, That Show Fuck Me Up. It is I, the beautiful, the talented, the funny, your host, Maria Luis Carra. Cue in the applause. What is up, fucked up fam? You, it's your girl. You already know the drill. But if you don't, here it goes. That show, fuck me up, is a podcast where I talk about shows that fuck me up. And this season, I'm covering Sharp Objects. Hi, I will be covering episode four of Sharp Objects today. So if you haven't listened to the other three episodes, go start this season from the very first episode. It helps. There, we need some fucking continuity. And I don't know why I pronounce continuity like continuity, but it works. We need some continuity, don't we? We fucking do. Um, just off the top uh, of my head, it's fucking hot in San Diego right now. For those of you that don't know, I live in San Diego. I do not. Well, I record from my room, but the air AC is right next to me. So it's going to be very loud. So I don't have the AC turned on, but I do have my fan. I hope the audio is not that fucking horrible. But if it is, I'm so sorry. I'm so fucking sorry. Well, but you're just going to have to deal with whatever fucking podcast I put out. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um. All right. What was I going to say? Oh, let's just move on to personal updates. Guess what? Guess fucking what? I just booked my flight to Vegas. (laughs) Yes. Did I just go a couple of months ago? Yes. Yes. But if there's something you should know about me, I've made it kind of, well, I try to be a yes girly. I try to be a yes girly. You invite me out. I say yes. You invite me on a trip. I say yes. You ask me to do illicit drugs with you. I obviously say yes, JK, JK, I'm fucking with you, fucked up fam, it's a joke, it's a jokey joke, uh, but I'm just a yes girly, so when my friend Carla hit me up, and she's like, Vegas for my birthday, and I'm like, let me check the flights, and it was cheap, uh, yeah, so I'm going to Vegas August 11th. I don't know if I would have already been there by the time I release the release this episode. I think, yeah, I think this will come out after I come back from Vegas. So hopefully I had a great time. Here's to future me. Let, let me manifest, okay? Um... I had I had a great time in Vegas. I didn't get too wasted. I kept it cool. Um, what else? What else? What else? I found like someone to sponsor my trip over there, like maybe like a sugar daddy. Um, I got free drinkies the whole weekend. I wasn't, and I came back just in time to get to work on Monday morning. <laughs> I'm literally leaving Friday night and coming back Monday morning. And thankfully, Mondays, I work from home. So maybe I'll only miss a few hours of work, but it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It'll be fine. Well, at least I hope so. So I'm looking forward to Vegas. Um, Yeah, so I I was going to ask you to manifest with me, but by the time you hear this, I've already come and gone. Uh, It's fine. It's fine.
what else? What else? What else? Let me. This weekend was pretty chill. So Friday, I guess it was just like an exhausting work week. So Friday, I just stayed home. I didn't go out. I just relaxed. I started watching Jury Duty. Uh, and I'll talk about it when we get to a recommendations corner. Okay. But Saturday morning, I woke up really early. And um, I hit up my cousin because he had hit me up the past weekend. But the past weekend, I had gone down to my hometown, to Calexico. And... Um, he wanted to hang out, but I was like, dude, I'm not in San Diego. I'll hit you up like during the week. I wasn't able to hang out during the week. So I was like, let's go have breakfast. I invited him to breakfast. We went to Sunshine Pancake House. I believe that's the name. If you're from San Diego, it's like close to SDSU. It's in El Cajon Boulevard. It's like family owned. It's a small business. It's been there for years. The food's actually really good. Like, I got some eggs Benedict, which are my go-to because I'm such a fucking white girl. Um, actually, I think I've already talked about this, but I didn't try eggs Benedict. Like, I had never eaten them before till I got to college. And I saw, I feel like I would go to brunch with, like, my roommates. And then my roommates would order eggs Benny. Benny, such a white girl of me. Um, and then I started eating them, and then I became obsessed. If there's something about me, I hyperfixate on food uh it's mental illness in it in it love <laughs> i also hyperfixate in a lot of things in my life um food shows man relationships yeah not great but but like i said and i've been saying self-awareness is a good start so i'm i'm like aware of my issues i am do I fix them? No, because it, it would take away, like, my quirk. Like, I'm such a quirky girly, you know? And I don't want to fix my issues. Actually, I've been thinking about going therapy because I feel like the podcast is not working anymore. <laughs> and, like, through my job, they offer, like, free, like, a couple of free sessions. I don't know how much. Um, But then, ew, being vulnerable. Oh, I fucking hate it here. I literally hate it i was talking okay well let me continue going through my my day on saturday and then we'll get to what i wanted to say so afterwards i came back i started working on taking the notes for this episode after my very very delicious breakfast with my cousin um and then after like a couple hours i hung out with Alyssa, aka yaya aka don chamango it was pretty hot this weekend so she invited me over to her pool we like swam around played mermaids no we didn't play mermaids this time but we were like just chilling catching up tanned a little bit it was a good time it was a good time but then like like we had like while we were in the pool hanging out we had this conversation about like having tough conversations and like voicing your feelings and like you know like all that stuff and oh why is that so hard for me I remember when I went, when I did, like, my, uh, the picture of my aura got taken in New York, like, the, the lady that told it to me and kind of, like, interpreted for me a little bit, she was, like, staring at all, the, like, she gave me, like, so much great information, and then she's staring at all these colors in, like, the picture of my aura, because if, I, I've already talked about it in a previous episode, but, like, my aura is fucking colorful, um, uh, she, she was, like, do you have issues with boundaries, and I'm, like, yes 
I do. I actually do. I really, really do have issues with boundaries. But again, self-awareness. Yes, we love, we fucking stand a self-aware. What What could be like the saying? Self-aware, slutty, snow princess, snow bunny. I don't know. I don't know. We'll keep workshopping it. If you have some suggestions, uh, leave me a little voice message, a little voice memo. And if, again, I'll drop the link where you could drop or like where you could leave me a little voice message, voice memo, whatever the fuck you want to call it in the description for the episode. Um, but yeah, why do y'all struggle with having conversations about your feelings and voicing your thoughts and opinions? Like I was put in a situation where I was supposed to talk about something with someone this weekend and I had the opportunity to do so, but I just couldn't, I couldn't, I literally, literally couldn't do that. And I think it goes back to my fearful avoidant attachment style. And now I'm just going to, Everything in my life is going to revolve around me finding out that I have a fearful avoidant attachment style. I've made my peace with it um, right now. I don't know how I'll feel in like the next two weeks. (laughs) But right now I'm just like, yeah, self-awareness is key. I'm aware of it. I'm working through it. Um, But yeah. So, okay, I'm still not done with my Saturday. After that, my friend Kelly Bear. Hi, Kelly Bear. I love you. Uh, she hit me up and she's like, hey, we're in North Park. Come through. And I'm like, bet. So I I like, oh, wait, no. At Alyssa's, after the pool, we ordered sushi from Sushi Coochie. Uh, and I know that's a weird name. I feel it's pronou- It's not pronounced like Coochie. It's pronounced like Kushi. Kushi? Sushi Kushi. But not Coochie, you know? Like not vagina. Um, It was so fucking good so good and then we just like or uh ate it as we watched they hadn't watched um so i think they had watched the first episode of the of black mirror season six so like joan is awful which thank you so much for listening to my recap of the whole season i know it was a very chaotic episode but i tried my best and i literally recorded it the night before i published it so bear with me thank you so much for your patience but so they had watched the first episode, but not the second one. And I'm like, I I told them I literally, literally love the second episode, which is the Locke Henry episode, which is kind of like a murder mystery with like a little twist. And we watched it as we ate sushi and it was a great fucking time. But then like Kelly texted me and I'm like, got a dip. Bye. Uh, I love you. Yeah, yeah. And him. Um, <laughs> and Cece, Cece Nasty, their dog. I got home. Fuck the fam. If there's something you should know about me, I take a long time to get ready because if I'm leaving the house and I'm going to be out and about with eligible bachelors, I'm going to look hot as fuck. I'm sorry. I'm a single gal. I'm a single girly pop, uh, you know, out here in the world uh, trying to find the love of my life, trying and failing, brutally failing. Um, but we're still out here. Peace and love. I don't know. I'm, I, I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep a positive attitude, but whatever. I got ready so fast. Obviously I didn't wash my hair, but you know, it gave me kind of like the, 
the pool water gave me kind of like a beachy wave type of thing. I it looked good, and I had like those um false cara lashes, and so I it looked like I had lashes already. So I just had to do my makeup really quick. I looked great. I looked fucking amazing. I mean, I always look amazing. Uh, because my self-esteem is through the roof and I think I'm hotter than literally anyone that's ever been born but that's just how I cope with things I have to think I'm hot or else the world stops for me and it was a great fucking time we started out at seven grand which is a whiskey bar and I don't really drink whiskey but Kelly recommended me this drink and I think it was like a white Russian I don't know I don't know it was pretty good, but I downed that shit because they were ready to go to the next bar, which is 619 Spirits. And y'all know that I fucking love 619 Spirits, and I hadn't been there in a while. Uh, five of us shared, like, the tower of the pickle tickle that I, I really like. And I'm like, I told, like, our um, waitress, I was like, can you bring pickles on the side, please, and thank you. And then we went to a karaoke bar afterwards, and that was also a lot of fucking fun. Red Wing? It was so much fun. Also, it was Pride Weekend. So, like, Red Wing, like, pulled up all the stops. It was a very prideful occasion. Why was everyone that went up for karaoke, why were they all, like, serving cunt? Like, everyone was giving us, like, A1 performances. I was like, oh, my God, I can't go up there. I can't compete. But then afterwards, um, like, how do I say this? How do I say this? without uh without sounding too like what's the word that I, so i basically got a booty call ash <laughs> i'm way too comfortable here you see i couldn't have this rapport with my therapist you know they would think i'm even more mentally unstable than what i actually am but yeah, your girl mm, mm, out here, out here, trying to just live, <laughs> just live my girly pop life and experience. I Again, I've said this before and I'll say it again and I'll say it a thousand, a fucking thousand times. I'm a simple, simple, simple girl that enjoys the simple, simple pleasures of life. So if on a Saturday night, I want to, you know, you know, like, y'all know, y'all fucking know, right? <laughs> so I was waiting for my lift to go back home. And like, this girl comes up to me and she's like, oh, how was your weekend? I mean, she's like, yeah, how's your day been? And I'm like, oh, it's been good. And she's like, oh, did you do any pride stuff? And I was like, no, I didn't. And she's like, so you're homophobic. <laughs> And I didn't know what to say. So I was like, I thought it was like a good conversation. So I was like, I joked around and I'm like, yeah, I guess I am. And then we just like started talking like, like, I just felt comfortable talking to this person. And then what did she say? And I'm like, no, like, I'm like the most prideful or like the proudest ally that's ever lived. And she's like, oh, so you're gay. And I'm like, basically and then i started talking about how me and yaya realized that tits are amazing during one of our uh bar outings and then uh we were like are we bisexual and then i told her like isn't everyone a little gay and she's like yeah i guess they are and then what did she say oh yeah so i was just like 
like in an inspirational mode and I'm like it's just so great that we could just be attracted to bodies and like you know like not not genders and like stuff like that and then she's like yeah that is great and then she's like took like a beat and she's like wanna fuck (laughs) and now like y'all thought my self-esteem was through the roof it's like out of this fucking world because i just feel so hot that like everyone wants to fuck me i shouldn't be saying this i people i i shouldn't i'm sorry fucked up fam i'm sorry (laughs) i should not use this podcast as my diary um she also like revealed no like okay i'm gonna stop no wait i have to finish this story she also revealed that she like her and no after she's like wanna fuck and i was like i reacted a little bit she's like i'm just kidding my girlfriend's right here and then like her girlfriend was talking to someone else and then the girl that she was talking to left and like she told her girlfriend like oh i was just flirting with her you know like it's super chill and then they told me that they were about to have a foursome with this other couple but then the other like both of the women in the other couple were like oh sorry like we have bv and if y'all know what bv is I'm like, those girlies were going through it. <laughs> they were fucking going through it. Um, But yeah, that was my night. I will not give you details about what happened afterwards because none of your fucking business. Use your imagination and add a spin to it. And yes, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what fucking happened. Thank you very much. Pop culture updates. I don't have any, I guess, um... You know, writers and actors are striking. And of course, as a writer, as a creative, uh, someone that is fucking terrified of AI. I'm the fact that the episode of Joan is awful from Black, Black, Black season, Black Mirror season six is literally what's happening in real life right now. It's fucking terrifying. That, you know, they could just scan your face and your body and everything about you. And then they could just reproduce images of you doing whatever you ask the system. That's fucking scary. So, yes, I stand with all the creatives, all the writers, all the actors. Actors should be getting paid what they're worth. Like, the fact that they're, who shared? I think it was, what's her name? Uh, she came out in Orange is the New Black and she showed like receipts of what she, her residuals for Orange is the New Black. Literally the show that put Netflix on the map. The animals, the animals. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, 27 fucking dollars of residuals for Orange is the New Black. You know how a couple like months ago, um, everyone was making fun of Sydney Sweeney saying that she can't afford to stop acting for like even a month because then she can't like afford her lifestyle because actors get paid shit. Look who's laughing now. But yeah, I'm here for it. Yes, better pay, better pay for fucking everyone. And I know UPS workers are about to go on strike. Bro, the fact that some people are upset because they're requesting a livable wage, they're out there doing God's work. You want your little packages on time? You want your little fucking packages on time. 
in this heat. People need livable wages. That's all I gotta fucking say. Um, what else? What else? Uh, so, uh, it's been a week since I've uh, been part of Pods Network. Uh, go check them out, podsnetwork.com. Uh, not come as in uh, sperm, but come as in com. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> they're gonna hear this and they're gonna be like, uh, we need this bitch off the network ASAP. No, but. I've been seeing like a lot more consistency in the numbers of like listeners. So we'll we'll see how it keeps on going. Like I said, the first three months are free. And then like you start, I have to start paying like a fee, which I like I said, I don't mind if it really helps the numbers of listener listeners. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to see where this goes. Um, and again, Y'all already know the drill. Remember to give the podcast a five-star review. Yes, I'm part of this network now, but it also helps. Like, leave a five-star review. Leave me a little message, a little love message. Um, I believe you can only leave a message on Apple Podcasts, but you could leave, like, a five-star review on Spotify. And that would be so great, and I'll love you forever, and I'll give you a little kiss on the mouth next time I see you. Quid pro quo, y'all know I love that. And if you want to leave a voice message, aka memo, again, the link for that will be in this episode's description. Let's move on to recommendations corner. No new movies, no new podcasts, TV shows. Holy fucking shit. I thought I knew everything about Jury Duty because when it first came out, there were like clips of, I thought, every fucking scene in TikTok. And I was like, you know what? I want to watch it. Let's watch it. I found it on freebie with like ads that don't last that long. So 10 out of 10 show. Oh my God. The work, the commitment to keep the story going. Ronald, who is a sweetheart, who we must protect at all costs. Such a great fucking show. Such a great fucking premise. I guess it was like, so in the last episode, okay, basically, if you don't know, if you live under a fucking rock, jury duty, it's a fake jury duty and only one person there is like, doesn't know that it's fake. So they think that it's actually real. And at the end, they reveal it to to him that it wasn't real and they award him $100K. So yes, sorry for the trauma. Sorry for true men showing you. Um... Here's 100K. Enjoy. The last episode was so sentimental because he was like, at first, he's like, what? What are you talking about? Like, what's going on? And then everyone's like, no, you're like a hero. Uh, honestly, like, we're we're good actors, but we're not that great. And it was 90% like you and you're just such a likable person. And it was like your personality. So fucking good. I really, really enjoyed the show. It made me laugh. It, you could watch it sober and under the influence and it's still fucking great. I really love that. I And I felt like they built community among each other. Like the show ended and they still hung out. Like it just made me really fucking happy. Book recommendation. I hadn't read a book in a while because I hyper fixate on things. Like I'll read like three books and then I'll take like a three month break and then I'll read another one. So... This book that I read was 
fucking good. It was, it's called We Were Mothers by Katie Cisse, uh, S-I-S-E. I've never heard that last name before. Basically, like, where can I start? <laughs> There's just so much shit going on. It's like, the different lives of different mothers so one of them she has twins and she finds out like her husband kissed the babysitter another one like her husband who's this like great fucking like doctor turns out to be like an snm freak and not even snm because he doesn't respect her boundaries so he's basically like sexually assaulting her every time he wants to have sex with her because she doesn't like what he likes which is like hurting her um another one her husband left her and then her daughter died and then like you know the other one she wants to become a mother but only through adoption and her husband doesn't want that and then there's like another like the the death of like the, that one mom's daughter is intertwined with everyone and it is so fucking good if any of what i just said i know it was confusing interest you go check out this book i really enjoyed it and I think that's it for, uh, <laughs> you know, intro updates, recommendations. Let's get started with, oh, wait, no, little trigger warning for this episode. Um, If you have mommy issues, <laughs> tread lightly. This episode, holy shit. Well, I think every episode, of, I, I feel like I gave like trigger warnings for like sexual assault, uh, you know, the murder of children or like the, you know, what is it called when you, not violate a corpse, but when you do damage to a corpse after it's after like, okay, whatever. But I forgot to mention trigger warning for uh, individuals with mommy issues. <laughs> but okay, let's get started with today's episode. <laughs> All right, episode four of Sharp Objects is called Ripe. The episode opens up with Camille waking up like outside her car in the grass in early in the morning and she just gets back in her car and begins to drive home. Rough night, Miss like Miss Thing knocked out in the grass after she had like that like scary encounter at the end of like the last episode. And then as she drives, it and it like, there's intercut scenes of all the things that have traumatized her in her lifetime. Her sister's death, finding Natalie Keene's dead body, the corpse without teeth, her many fucking scars, Alice, Alice's death, among other things. Then it cuts to Detective Willis in bed, and he gets up and looks out the window of his hotel, and he's like, shit, still in wind gap. <laughs> Then we see Chief Vickery asleep and his alarm is going off, but he's not waking up. And then his wife goes over and nudges him to wake up, but he still doesn't. And the only reason he wakes up is when his wife begins to play a cassette. And we see him go down to the kitchen and his wife is making him an all-American breakfast, toast, eggs, bacon, you know the drill, and preparing his lunch for work. And before he walks out, she's like, she's like, be safe today. So I guess she like reminds him that every morning. We're now with Adora and she's all she also wakes up and as soon as she does, she goes and opens her blinds. And then of course she sees Camille is outside in her car taking a chug of her water. 
Camille enters the house and goes upstairs and she walks into Marion's room again and she has a flashback of Adora crying in bed and uh, young Camille sees her and then she like closes the door and goes downstairs and Alan stops her and he's like, hey, I need to talk to you. Young Camille follows after him and then she notices Gayla's holding a cake with candles and both Gayla and Alan begin to sing happy birthday to her. And young, Cam young Cam Camille just says, another time, okay, as she walks out and Gayla just blows out the candles in the cake. Back in present day, we then see Camille smoking a cigarette in her private bathroom and trying to like make sure that the smell doesn't go into the house. And then she's splashing water in her face. And then she has a flashback of when Alice killed herself and what she did to herself, like the self-harm uh, with the screw from the toilet. Camille walks past Emma's room and then Emma is there with her shitty ass friends. And Emma like follows after her and tells her not to be mad at her and how she was just in a shitty mood yesterday because Camille blew her off. And Camille explains that she did not blow her off and that she was just doing her job. And Emma's friend, Joe, is like, with that hot cop, I would totally fuck him. And Emma's like, watch it. That's my sister's boyfriend. But Camille corrects her and lets her know that he's not her boyfriend. And Emma just says that he will because he likes her and how she can tell. Emma again apologizes and says how she can get carried away trying to impress her friends. And then one of Emma's friends is like, come see this meme. And, and it's like and how it's about John Keane because everyone thinks that he committed the murders. And then Emma shows Camille a joint, like she flashes her joint and she's like, want to join? Uh, <laughs> joint and want to join. Uh, I'm sorry, that wasn't funny. <laughs> and Camille lets her know that she's not down. And Emma says that if she changes her mind, they will be down by the stables. And she also tells her, don't tell mama. Also, the meme is like John's, John Keane's high school photo. And they like drew over his smile and made it look as if he does not have teeth. And, it's a, and it says, ain't karma, bitch. Sweeties, girly pops, whoever created that fucking meme. A meme is supposed to be funny. That's not funny. Camille goes back downstairs and she sees Alan, Alan asking Adora if her hand is any better. And she says, Krellen women are slow healers. And then Alan brings her some fruit and Adora's like, uh, can you cut that like a bit smaller? What? Like the privilege that this woman has, like her husband just caught her, cut her some fruit. And she's like, mm, nah, it needs to be smaller, tiny pieces because I can't chew huge pieces. Camille enters the kitchen and she asks her mom why she isn't ready. And Adora explains that the cut in her hand is giving her the fits. And to please give her regards to Jackie. And Camille calls. She's like, Mom, it's barely a scratch. Adora's like, to you, maybe. And Camille says how the ladies will miss her. And Adora's like, I'm giving them the opportunity to do what they love. Talk about me. And she goes on about how luckily Camille's going to be there to defend her name and her honor. And Camille assures her that them talking shit will not arise. Camille begins to walk out. And Adora says, in Wind Gap recyclables go out on Wednesday and then Camille just walks out as she flips off her mother and up but obviously Adora doesn't notice cut to Chief Vickery driving to work and then he notices the stop sign he just recently changed has two like bullet holes or I don't know what they were but there were like small holes and then we get to his office and Detective Willis is already there and Willis wants to know why the chief is following John Keane around the chief assures him that he's not, and uh, 
and he wants to know who told him that. And Willis says, John Keane. I ran into him at the store and he asked if I was following him too. Jeep lets him know that John Keane is just a paranoid boy, but Willis does not let up and says that there are only a certain number of cop cars in this town. So that like it's obvious. Chief Vickery wants to know what he's getting at, and Detective Willis says that they need to start sharing information before another little girl in this town loses her teeth. Willis volunteers to go first, and he tells Vickery how he's going to meet with the reporter, a.k.a. Camille, and how she knows something, and when she tells him what it is, he will tell the chief. Vickery is like, oh, how are you so sure that she will share informa information? And Willis just says, call it intuition. And Vickery is like, oh, we call that something else in Wind Gap. Willis asks if they have a deal. And like the chief is like, okay, yeah, that's fine. We then see John Keane working at Preaker Farms, driving a forklift. And then his supervisor comes up to him and basically fires him without any explanation. And John Keane just storms off. Cut to Camille getting to a restaurant and Jackie's there with some other ladies and they ask where Adora is at and Camille explains that she cut herself but that she really wanted to be there and Jackie's like, that's a crock of shit. And this other woman named Diana, Diana is like, Adora will be fine. She's a fighter. And she also says how Calhoun Day is coming and how it always gets her spirits up. Camille asks if Calhoun Day is a good idea, and Jackie points out how Camille's mind is a crime reporter's mind at work, and how every suspect in town is roaming around in front of a Dora salon around all that fresh meat. A woman at the table calls Jackie morbid, but Jackie calls it stupid. Jackie calls the host over to bring them menus, and the host basically just like tosses them uh, the menus at the table. And then they're like, what the fuck? But then the woman wants to know the inside scoop of what Camille think or like of what Camille knows or who she thinks did it. And Camille turns the question around on them and she's like, oh, I want to know what y'all think. And, and Jackie's like, Bob Nash killed them. And another one thinks John Keane did it. Cut to Willis in his hotel room and he's looking at the meme of, of John Keane, the meme, because that's not a fucking meme if you ask me. And then we see him driving around, and he drives past the Nash house. Uh, Willis stops by the fountain and notices those same white flowers from the place where Natalie's Keen, Natalie Keene's body was dumped, uh, were also there, and how they were also there for the memorial for Anne Nash. And then we see that the teens, Emma Jodes, and her other friend, and three boys are rehearsing a song and a scene for Calhoun Day. I don't know what they're doing. And then there's like this older guy playing the piano as they sing rehearse who might be like a teacher. I have no clue. So I think they're recreating like a wind gaps history during the war, which war I don't know. And uh, honestly, I don't think they were in the right, <laughs> the right side of history, <laughs> but Emma, Emma's like acting and she's going on about how Amelia Calhoun, Calhoun taught the women of wind gap to shoot, which was the unthinkable at the time and how she formed the first female militia the world had ever seen. A phone vibrates, and the piano guy tells him to take a break, and he goes outside with a cigarette. And Jodes tells Emma how she does not think he liked it, and Emma, and Emma is defensive, and she says, shut up, Jodes, what do you know? And the other friend says that either way, he's a weirdo anyway, and Emma just says, takes one to know one. So Emma's just like a hateful bitch, even to her friends. Emma goes outside to follow after him and she asks him if he liked the performance and he calls it entertaining, but says, but he's like, there was never a female militia in Wind Gap. 
Emma asks how he would know because he was not around. And Emma adds that her mama says all of history was written by man. So, of course, they're going to make themselves look good. He says, history is history, Emma. You can't change it. Just learn from it. And Emma asks if that is why he's always so sad. And he just stares at her. She continues that because you can't change your history. Emma now grabs this grown man's hand and says, don't be sad, Mr. Lazy. And he just looks at her for a bit and then he like walks away. Cut to John Keen getting to his house and his mom is asleep on the couch. And John like goes up to her and tells her that she needs to shower and eat some food and he helps her up. As his mom showers, he notices that the coffee cup smells like alcohol and he checks the trash and finds some bottles. And he also goes to Natalie's room with a back uh, with a bag full of grasshoppers and he's like about to feed the spider. But then he's like, where the hell are you? And he looks around the room. Obviously, the spider's not there because Camille said it fucking free. She's being fucking nosy. So cut to Frank in the hospital. And I don't Frank Curry, which is Camille's uh, boss, is in the hospital. And I don't know. He's getting like some sort of intravenous, intravenous treatment. And maybe like, I don't know if he's going through like chemotherapy but his wife is also there and he's on the phone with Camille and he's shocked to hear that Willis is going to go on the record for her and Camille says that cops are ambitious and how they like to see their name on paper and she's like plus I look good today and Frank is like yeah so do I he asked Ben again about how it is to be back home and you can tell that it's like a genuine question and he really cares for Camille and Camille responds what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and Frank is like, unless it kills you. And Camille just says, thanks, I needed that. He tells her that she needs a new piece and to go and get it. And she's like, yes, sir. Cut, cut to Emma putting on some music in her dad's fancy stereo. And she's listening to Tupac, the, what's what's that song? About like, when he's talking about his mom. Um, and then as Adora cooks and Emma goes over to Adora and she gives her like a hug from behind. And then we see Camille see this and she just has like a stern look on her face. I feel like Camille is like weirded out by all these like forms of like showing like love in between like Adora and Emma because she didn't really get that with her mom. Camille goes to splash her face with some water and when she looks up, she's now young Camille and it's after she had said no to her birthday cake and we see Camille go towards her mom's room where she's sleeping and Gayla's sitting by her bed and then like Adora like whispers to Gayla and Gayla goes towards her and like, you know, listens to what Adora is saying and then Gayla goes over to like the door of Adora's room and she whispers to young Camille, not today child, your mom is not feeling good. Bro, Adora not even wanting to acknowledge her own daughter on the day of her birthday. What? <laughs> like, ma'am, I know you lost your other daughter, but bro, you're literally losing Camille right in front of your eyes. Now we can see why Camille is so fucking traumatized and she has so many fucking issues. Camille's phone uh, buzzing brings us back to present day, and it's a text from Richard Willis, a.k.a. Detective, and he texts her that he's outside. Camille leaves, and she and Willis go to, go to the woods, and he parks his car, and they get off, and Willis is like, oh, most first dates are dinner and a movie, 
And he's like, and that, and I'm going to get to tour crime scenes. And Camila's like, what does it say about you that you think this is the date? And he's like, I guess it doesn't say much about my social life. <laughs> Camila reminds him that they have a deal and how she's going to answer a question uh, on how he's going to answer a question on the record for every crime scene that she shows him. And Willis agrees and says that he gets it. Camille walks him into the woods and they stop by a stream of water and Camille tells him about crime scene, num crime scene number one. Two teenage girls, madly in love, slashed their wrists there and one of them left behind a, a child, a baby actually. Camille shares that she went to school with that baby and her name was Faith Miri, but everyone called her F. Slur Miri. And she's like, like it was hereditary or something. Camille goes on that it was ironic because Faith had sex with a bunch of boys to prove that she wasn't a lesbian like her mother. Camille also tells the detective that no one ever found a knife at the scene of the crime, so it was speculated that it could have been a murder-suicide, but there was no evidence. And Willis calls not finding a knife strange. Willis also asks about whatever happened to her friend Faith, and Camille responds, she paid for the sins of a mother, of a mother that she never met. So instead of being a lesbian, she became a slut. And she explains that in Wingap, every woman gets a label if they don't conform to the rules of engagement. Willis wants to know what Camille's label is, and she just laughs and says how there are way too many to name, and she continues walking. Willis is like, come on, tell me, I can handle it. Um, and Camille is like, that is so Wingap of you, to want to learn someone's secret to later use them against them. But he lets her know that that is not his style. But Camille tells him that it's his turn to answer a question on the record. And uh, she's like, why did you become a cop? Willis is slightly surprised that that was her first question. And Camille just says that she likes to know the people that she's interviewing. And he disagrees. And um, he's like, oh, no, you like to suck up to the interviewees to get more information out of them. And Camille is like, God, you're so smart. And Willis just cracks a smile at her. And then I wrote in my notes, daddy? I mean, daddy? <laughs> I can't, I can't. <laughs> He's so fine. Oh, the things I would let that man do to me. Daddy? I mean, what? <laughs> Willis gives her like the story that when he was a kid, he wanted to be a vet. So he volunteered at an animal shelter. And he would see all these animals come in burned and tortured and mutilated. And how after a while, he got less interested in treating the animals and more interested in catching the animals who did that to them. Camille is shocked and she asks, you volunteered at an animal shelter? And he jokes, don't tell anyone. And she promises not to and how his secret is saved with her, even in Wingap. They continue to walk further into the woods and she takes him to a place called the end zone. And she tells him that, that how that was the place where the football team would have their way with that week's lucky cheerleader. And he asks, ninth grade, you said? And she's like, yep. As she takes a swing of a whiskey bottle. Willis is like, that makes me sick. And he asks if the police was ever notified. And Camille's like, of course not. And then he says that some people would call that rape. And Camille says that some people would call that consensual. And then Willis takes a swing of the bottle. Willis wants to know who she's talking about and if she was one of the girls who this happened to. And Camille says that if she says yes, then Willis will think less of her or feel sorry for her. He says that he would not think that. And what he does think is that those guys took advantage of someone way too young to make an informed decision. Camille is like, typical. And, and she's like, 
if a boy has sex with five girls, they put up a, stat, a statue in their honor. And Willis understands that there's a double standard, uh, but having your way with someone sounds criminal, even on game night. And then he tells her to have a sip of like the alcohol. And Camila's like, bless your heart, bless your heart, as she has another sip. <laughs> so she's basically telling him, fuck you. <laughs> He asks what her next question is, and she wants to know about the tire sample that he took from Bob Nash's car. And she also asks uh, where the tread was and if it matched. He calls that two questions, and Camille corrects him and says that it's a two-parter. And he playfully says, give me that, as he takes the bottle from her. He tells her that it was not a match, and Camille's like, that kind of blows. My Bob Nash killed Natalie Keene in Revenge for Anne Theory. And Willis asks if she thinks that there are two killers. Camille tells him that even though the teeth pulling matches, the two girls were killed differently and how Anne's body was concealed and Natalie was left out in the open for all to see to give a message of fuck you, Wingap, look what I can do message. Willis calls it an interesting theory and Camille says how a lot of women around town think Bob Nash is a pervert and how sometimes perverts like little girls. And Willis tells her how that that is where the teeth pulling comes in because in the murderer's mind, the teeth pulling equal, is equal to rape because it is about power for someone who feels powerless. Cut to Chief Vickery getting to Adora's house and he like rings the doors. He rings the doorbell and Emma opens the door and Emma's like, did you catch the killer yet? And Vickery is like, oh, is Adora home? And Emma says, you did it. You could be out there looking for him as Alan walks towards the door. The chief is like, well, you certainly are your mama's daughter. I'll give you that. Alan comes to the door and he asks the chief if there's a problem. And the chief just says how he came to discuss some things with Adora. And Alan informs him how she's in bed resting. And Emma just stares at the chief for a little bit. And then she walks away as she yells out, Mama, Chief Vickery is here. Adora comes halfway down the stairs as she's asking if everything's okay. And he's like, of course. And um, he's like, oh, like, I just want to like, talk to you about something and Adora's like of course give me a few minutes to put myself together as the chief lets himself inside the home and Adora tells Alan to fix the chief a drink and Alan looks at the chief and he's like I guess you'll have your usual and then it cuts to Camille showing Willis the shed in the middle of the woods Willis says how he already knows about the shed because Anne and Natalie used to play there until uh what did I say used to play there and they um but they still go inside as Camille lingers by the entrance, having flashbacks of when she encountered this place when she was a teenager. Willis calls the place, uh, calls the shed a creepy place for two teen girls to hang out at because it still has like those porn pictures glued to the walls. Camille walks outside as she takes like she like looks desperate to get out of there. So she just walks outside as she takes a breath of fresh air and Willis can tell something is wrong. So he follows after her and Camille asks the way these kills were done. It means the girls knew their attacker, right? And Willis tells her that he's certain of it. Willis explains that he knows the guy is a hunter and how hunters track their prey, and that it is no coincidence how the two girls that were killed in this town used to play in that shed and how he probably hid out in the woods and waited for the perfect moment to strike. Camille is like, I thought Anne was taken as she was riding her bike. And Willis says how that is a story, but that her bike was never found. So it could have happened there in the woods, in the shed. Camille calls it an interesting theory, but how there's no proof of that. 
And Willis agrees that there's no proof, but he says that he's getting close to something and how someone in this town is hiding something from him. Camille asks, what makes you say that? And Willis just says that people get nervous when you start asking questions. Camille walks away and then Willis asks if something happened to her inside that shed and she stops in her tracks as she says, good, in good instincts, Casey, Kansas City. He asks if she's holding out on him and Camille says, I might be. And Willis says, I was under the impression that you were starting to like me. Camille walks over to him and he tries to kiss her, but she moves her face out of the way and then she unzips her pants grabs his hand and put it inside her her pants and then she just holds on to him as he begins to rub one out for her and then she bites down on his shoulder as she orgasms honestly fastest orgasm in the history of orgasms but besides the point irrelevant cut to adora and the chief sitting down having a drink as alan towers over them and chief vickery asks about adora's hand and she shows it to him like and she touches her cut and she's like ouch in front of her husband like the chief like literally touches the tiny like cut in her hand and she's like ouch alan is a cuckold at this point like what you can see that alan is upset about this like interaction but he does not react and says how they'll leave how he'll leave them to it as he walks out Adora asks about Jocelyn, the chief's wife, and he says that she's fine and how she sent her love. And Adora is like, oh, that's sweet. I send my love back. And Adora asks if there's a break in the case. And the chief quickly says, you'll be the first to know. Sir? Sir? Chief Vickery, why would this civilian woman be the first to know? What? What's happening here? Then he says, however, and he tells that Calhoun Day, he tells Adora that Calhoun Day is not appropriate giving the events. But Adora disagrees and says how she thinks the town needs a bit of frivolity given the events. And the chief is like, possibly. And Adora asks why he would have her cancel an event that has been part of this town's history for half a century. And Vickery is like, because I have not caught the killer. Adora says that he does not have the power that no, she's like, you do have the power as chief to do whatever you think is in the best interest of public safety. But Adora does warn him that there are some that have the power in this town to remove him as chief. <laughs> chief Vickery laughs and then Adora laughs as well. And Chief Vickery is like, that is what I love about you, Adora. You never pull your punches as they both continue to laugh. Adora asks if that's the only thing. Uh, and Chief Vickery says how they need to talk about her daughters. And Adora is like, what about them? Vickery is like, one of them is dangerous. And another one is in danger. And we can see that Alan is spying on them from the other room. And we can hear Vickery tell Adora that he's currently working on some things. And Adora is like, anything you'd like to share? Cut to Willis dropping off Camille back at, at the at her, like the Preaker household. Uh, and Camille asks, the girls were dead when their teeth were pulled, right? And Willis confirms it. Thanks to all the fucking gods. I'm so glad this was down, done. Like if it had to be done, I'm so glad that it was postmortem and not premortem. Oh my God, those poor tiny children. I can't. And Willis is also like, that is enough questions. But Camille is like, one more. What about John Keane? 
Willis says how he seems too broken up about the whole thing and how it could all be an act. And Camila's like, but his sister was murdered. And Willis is like, yeah, but I'm a guy. And teenage boys that would sooner die than cry in public. And then they see the chief walking out of the Preaker house. Willis and Camille get out of the car and Willis asks if everything's okay. And the chief just says that it was a friendly visit. And Willis is like, I would like to hear all about your conversation later on. And Vickery responds, and I yours. Good night, as he tilts his hat and gets on his car and drives off. And Camille asks what that was all about. And Willis just says, small town cop, big time problems, as, as Camille walks over and kisses him. Willis kisses him, kisses her back, and then he pulls back and he's like, now we kiss? And Camille reminds him that she's an unconventional girl and that he knew that already. And Willis begins to kiss her neck as Camille has flashbacks of when she was out by the woods as a teenage girl wearing her cheerleader uniform and the football team surrounded her. In present day, she kisses him one last time before she pulls away and she walks off her porch and we see a flashback of of a young Camille sneaking back into her house as she lights one candle in the cake that Gayla had made for her and she just lays her head down in defeat. In present day, Camille makes her way inside and she's startled by Adora sitting down by herself having like a snack. Camille apologizes and she says that she was startled and Adora explains that she could not sleep with everything that is going on around there and Camille reminds her that she does not have to worry about her. Camille tries to walk off, but Adora asks how breakfast went, and Camille tells her that it was good and how the ladies were disappointed that she did, could not go. And Adora says, you were always so willful. Camille is like, excuse me? And Adora continues, never sweet. I remember when you were around six or seven, and I wanted to put your hair up in curlers for your yearbook picture, and instead you cut it all off with my fabric shears. Camille is like, uh, that wasn't me. And she's like, you might be confused, but Adora continues. What I, what was I expecting with you? I thought you'd save me. I thought you'd love me and then my mother would love me. Even from the beginning, you disobeyed. You, disobeyed. you wouldn't eat like you were punishing me for being born. You made me feel like a fool, like a child. Camille tells her mom that she was a child as Adora approaches her and says, and now you come back here. And Adora caresses Camille's face and says, and all I can think is, and Camille is like, what, what mama? With tears in her eyes and Adora gets close to her and says, you smell ripe. As she walks past her and then we see Adora also walk past Alan's room and Alan is standing there and he just shakes his head as he closes the door behind him. Oh my God. Holy fucking shit. This scene, you think like Adora is going to make a breakthrough and then she like breaks your fucking heart. Whew. Oh, and they also said the name of the episode, Ripe, so take a shot. Cut to Ashley giving John Keen a handjob, and he's just looking out into the distance, like, disassociating. Like, he's not he's not even enjoying this shit right now. And Ashley's like, are you going to finish soon? <laughs> and I wrote in my notes, girly pop, your boyfriend does not want a handjob. He needs a hug and some very intensive therapy. <laughs> John Keen puts up his pants and gets up and Ashley, she's like, where are you going? What are you doing? And she, he just says that he's going to go for a ride. 
as he walks out and Ashley yells out, I'll, I'll let you put it inside me. And John Keen, like, this doesn't even, like, stop him. He just walks out. And Ashley's just in her knees looking, looking defeated, and she looks under the bed, and she sees that there's a blood stain right under the bed. There's a knock at Camille's door, and Gayla comes in, and she asks if she needs anything else. And Camille tells her no, and then Camille, like, says, like, we both know how Adora is. And she wants to know why Gayla has stayed after all these years. Gayla says that there are not a, a lot of options in Wind Gap, either domestic work or the or the hog farm. And she's like, and I do not like pigs. She also says that Adora's bark is bigger than her bite. And Camille says they're both pretty big, if you ask me. And Gayla's just like, good night, Miss Camille. Camille is finishing up her article. And then she takes a drink of her bottle and she notices um that she just finished it so that means that she needs to drive to town to get some more alcohol we also see john keen went to the park and he gets out of his car and we can see that chief vickery is like following him and it cuts to ashley frantically cleaning and scrubbing the blood from the carpet under the bed and she like when she's done she also scraps her hands like frantically in her arms after after she's done and we now see that the reason John Keen was at the park was to get another spider. And we see him go to his house and drop off the spider in Natalie's room to replace the one that Camille left free. Bro, this, this man loved his little sister. Alan then goes to Adora's room and he asks if she needs anything from him. And Adora's like, I can't think of anything. And then Mr. Alan gets brave and he says, you know, I lost a daughter too. And Adora asks what he's saying, and Alan responds, I don't think you've ever stopped to consider that. Adora lays down in her ottoman as she's like taking off her, like she's like getting ready to like put on PJs and like get ready for bed. She like lays down in her ottoman, defeated as she tells Alan that it's late. And Alan continues, Marion was taken from me to Adora, and I would just like to see some appreciation for how I have borne that. And Adora asks what he wants her to say, thank you. And she tells Alan that nobody asked him to suffer in silence. Alan asks, how is it that you show more compassion for the local civil servants than for your own husband? Adora, in anger, throws her shoe on the ground and she goes over to Alan and says, if you're speaking about the chief, I'm done having this conversation. And Alan is like, seems to me you could talk to him all night. And of course, Adora blames this on the only person she can think of. And she's like, it's Camille, isn't it? Alan is like, oh, come on. And Adora says how Camille brings discourse into their house. And Alan stands up for Camille and says how not everything is Camille's fault and how Adora knows it. Adora asks Alan why he's trying to hurt her. And Alan is like, hurt. You have a very peculiar idea of the word hurt, dear, as he walks out of the room and slams the door shut. Cut to Chief Vickery getting to Jackie O'Neill's home. And, sh and she's like, does your wife know you're calling another woman late at night? And he jokes, not if you don't tell her. And she just laughs. The chief tells her that he needs her help. And she's like, okay. And Vickery asks. She's like, what is Adora not telling me about the Preaker girl, a.k.a. Camille? Jackie sighs and she takes a second. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about.
The chief lingers for a second and he just stares at her before he walks back to his car. Cut to Camille at the bar and she sees John Kane come in and come in and he asks for two drinks and Camille's like, thank you. And he jokes, those are actually both mine. But then he gives her one of the drinks. He's like, I could totally two fist right now, though. And Camille asks if he, if he has been having a bad day. He's like, yeah, my mom is losing it. And your mom had me fired from my job today. And Camille's like, my mom? And he's like, it's okay. It wasn't really a fun place to work at. John Keane explains that pigs are smart and how they know what's about to happen to them. And that is why they shit so mad. They shit so much because they are afraid of death. John Keane asks Camille if she ever got over it. And she's like, losing a job. And John Keane responds, losing a sister. Camille says, I wish I could tell you yes, but that would be a lie. And John Keane says how people in this town actually believe that he killed her. And Camille lets him know that if it means anything to him, she doesn't think so. Camille calls the bartender over to refill their glasses, and he does. And John Keane tells Camille that Natalie collected spiders. And he asks if she knows that, and Camille lies and says that she doesn't, that she didn't. And he tells her that she got into some trouble back in Philly, in Philly when they lived there. Camille asks what type of trouble and if she could like tell him. And he tells her that Natalie got mad at a girl for stealing her pencil. So she took it back from her and she stuck it in her eye. Camille's like, Jesus. And, J and John Keane tells her to please not put that in her story and how he has never told that to anyone in Wingap before. And Camille promises that she won't. John continues and says how Bob Nash always thought that Anne was in the straight and narrow path before she met devilish Natalie, but that John always thought that both Anne and Natalie were two peas in a pod and how they were weirdos in a good way. Camille says that there's nothing wrong with being a weirdo because she is one, and John is like, yeah, I guess I am too. He also shares that he always thought that Natalie and Anne were going to end up killing each other because they were always going at it, and how Emma was the only thing that stood between them in those days. Camille is shocked, and she's like, Emma? And John is like, yeah, and confirms that she was the one that keeping them off of each other. Camille says how she knew that Adora tutored the girls, but that she didn't know that Emma was close to them. And John is like, oh, yeah. The three of them would go play in that creepy hunting shed. Camille is, like, obviously startled by this information, and she quickly gets up from the bar, and she, like, barges out of there, and John is asking if she's okay. Cut to Camille rushing home, and she barges into Emma's room, and she's not there, and she runs back outside panic, and she begins to drive around town looking for her little sister. We then see Emma is out skating with friends as their guy friends follow in the car uh, behind them. And then one of the guys inside the car is pointing a gun at them as they skate. But I don't know if it's just like, you know, rural people just own guns and they're like playing around with them and not being safe because they're, they're just like having fun. I wouldn't call that fun, but like people in Wind Gap might call that fun. Fun. We also see inner cut scenes of Alan going into Adora's bedroom he takes off his glasses as he goes towards her to kiss her and then we see headlights approaching Emma as she skate as she skates and then she turns around to face them end of episode all right fucked up fam let's get started with our segments let's begin with that shit's traumatizing 
freaking at, well you know what no i'm gonna save this one let me move it let me fucking no you know what it is <laughs> okay so i was let me just walk you through what i'm thinking okay so gayla and alan calling camille over on her 15th birthday to sing her happy birthday and then like camille's like i'm not up for it like right now and that could be seen as her oh my god so sorry i forgot i had my phone on loud so that could be seen as like either camille being like a sassy mean teenager but i'm seeing it from a different perspective like Probably Camille's previous birthdays haven't been great. And then her little sister just died. So she's sad. Her mom's fucking checked out. Adora is fucking sobbing up in Marion's room during Camille's birthday. And then later on, like, Camille tries to go say something to her mom. And her mom is now in her bedroom. And Gayla's there. And Gayla, like... Like, Adora doesn't even acknowledge Camille. She, like, turns to Gayla, whispers something to her, and then Gayla has to play uh, play uh, phone and come over to Camille and be like, your mama's not up for it right now, baby girl. Uh, she didn't say baby girl, but... <laughs> and that's just so sad. Because, like, look, and I said it th- during the episode, Lady, Adora, you just lost a daughter. And then you're losing one right before your eyes because you're you're not paying attention to her you're making her feel less you're not acknowledging like a very special day literally the day that she was born the day that you gave birth to her and she and at the end she lit up her own like candle for her birthday cake and she blew it out by herself and that's just so sad that's just really sad no one should spend their birthday alone or like feel like they're alone like even though you're not physically alone so uh, another thing that was traumatizing, Emma coming on to Mr. Lacey. So uh, like when I recorded, I didn't know who he was, but he's like the music teacher and he's helping put up the performance for Calhoun Day because he's playing the piano or whatever. And it's just like he leaves, he's having a cigarette. And then Emma, how old is she? Like 14, 15 is like right there. And she's like, why are you always so sad, Mr. Lacey? Like, is it because you can't change your past? And then, like, her hand lingers with his hand. And, like, he noticed that. Like, bro, you're an adult. You need to set boundaries. First of all, once this child started asking you personal questions, you should have been like, absolutely not. And shut it down right there. But he, like, I don't know if it made him feel like, manly or whatever or listen to but i feel like he enjoyed it up to the part where it got physical well not enjoyed it he looks fucking miserable i don't know what i'm saying it's just like bro you're a fucking adult she's a teenager and it kind of reminded me of something that willis said when he was in the woods with camille like you were not old enough to make like right decisions right um or like thought thought out decisions and it's kind of like Yes, you can blame a teenager for coming on to uh, an adult man. There's something else there. You're, there's something else lingering in the background that makes it feel like it's okay for her to do that. But obviously, it's not normal, not great. Is Mr. Lacey hot? 
Yes. Even though it's so weird, like he's really attractive, but all the girls are like, ew, he's weird, you know? Um, but that's just me. Maybe I just have like weird likes or whatever. Um, I already mentioned Adora not acknowledging Camille on her birthday. Um, so when Camille is like taking Willis along the crime scenes, just the crime scenes that she discusses, the first one, imagine living, and this is like, very what's the word that i'm looking for it's still something that that i don't know the word i'm trying to find a word normal yes i think that was like literally the easiest word i could come up with i think i was thinking of like a fancier word but my brain did not go there it's still very normal in our society especially in more conservative or republican or red states um you know homophobia <laughs> homophobia is a big topic so the story goes like just retelling it really quickly two girls madly in love are found dead in that same spot that camille was showing willis they everyone says it was a murder suicide but then they never found a knife that seems like a murder murder to me no suicide where the fuck is the knife you know stop making shit up when gap why is Wingap always trying to protect its citizens? Your citizens are not great. They're actually kind of all very shitty people, if I do say so myself. And then the second uh, crime scene, it's basically like when Camille <laughs> going over, explaining her trauma to the man she's like, quote unquote, on a date with not really weird as fucking morbid ass date, but cute at the same time, but not no, not really. <laughs> it's just like oh yeah this is where i was violently gang raped well okay maybe this maybe i shouldn't say this but i'm like no you know what i might not say that or maybe i will let me think about it real quick no, I'm not going to say it. It's problematic. I do not want to be problematic. And I don't want to be known as a problematic podcast. I want to be known as a sexy, lovely, funny podcast, you know? Sexy, speaking of myself. But like, I want people to think, like, damn, the host is so sexy. Like, how does she do it? And she's so funny. She should be a comedian. Or, like, I don't know, some other things. But not <laughs> problematic. I want to be as far away as problematic as I can be. Um... But it's just like, yeah, I experienced this violent sexual assault right here, but like not really saying it. She's like, oh, the cheerleader of the month. And I'm pretty sure she had mentioned in some other occasion to Willis that she was a cheerleader. The team, bro, like it's disgusting. Because I'm picturing like when I was a freshman and like what freshman boys looked like and like how they acted, like, obviously, like, all the football guys, not to hate, but they were also full of themselves, and, and they knew it, like, yeah, hell yeah, we're on the, we made, like, the freshman football team, or whatever, we're so strong, or what the fuck, and I feel like it's an ego rush to be liked because you're in the football team, even though I don't think it's that's necessarily true, but then the fact that everyone knew this was happening, and everyone just looked the other way and basically blamed the woman if they were to ever say something like, oh, 
you're saying you got raped no you it was probably consensual and now you're regretting it and you're a fucking slut because that's mostly how it's been for women throughout history oh no you weren't raped you weren't sexually assaulted no you're making shit up like that did not happen he wouldn't do that they wouldn't do that they're good boys no they're they're, they're athletes they meet the freshman football team they would absolutely not do that sweetie pie those boys are rapists like disgusting I wonder who else knew, like, if it wasn't just, like, the teenagers, but if it was also the moms and, like, Southern moms are just, like, now looking down at their daughters and seeing how Adora acts with Camille, I wouldn't put it past her. Like, ma'am, take care of your daughter better. And it's just, like, I feel like even Camille doesn't totally accept that what happened to her was rape. Cause she's like, she's kind of like making, not like, not like making excuses. Like, cause Willis is like, some people would call it rape. Some people would call it consensual. And then, um, when he says something about like, you know, like for those women or for those girls that called it consensual, they probably weren't, um, aware of what they were doing or they didn't know of like, you know, and, and Camille's like, oh, look at the double standards. Uh, a, man, a guy fucks five women and they put up a statue of him. But if like the woman does the same thing and like Willis is trying to explain to her, like, no, I'm not like, I'm not saying like, like I'm not slut shaming, you know, it's just like, that's not good, especially the way she worded it. Like, oh, the football team would just pick their, um, their pick of the day. They would have just have their pick of the day and have their way with them. That does not sound consensual at all. Not at all, girly pop. Um, oh my God. I think I mentioned it on another episode, like maybe like the previous episode, but, or I don't know if I did. Alan is such a cuckold. Okay. Picture this. Well, I mean, you've already pictured it because I literally just talked about it a few minutes ago. But Vickery gets to the house. Emma answers. Alan gets there and he's like, no, my wife is indisposed. She's not feeling good. And then, like, Emma kind of knows that her mom is the one that makes the rules. So she's like, she calls out for her mom, like, letting her know that Vickery's there. And, like, no one respects Alan's word. If Alan would have been like, no, go away, like Adora would have come down and been like, no, like, don't be rude, like, welcome him in. And by the way, make him his drink, sweetie. Make the chief, who is, like, flirting with Adora in front of her husband, it's so crazy to me. Especially because, like, the chief, I don't know if the chief also gets, like, a power trip from this. Because, sir, you're married. You're married. Your wife clearly loves and adores you. She's making you a full American breakfast in the middle of the week. Making your little lonchecito, your little lunch. And it's just, like, 
I don't know. I don't know if it's a power trip, but Alan. Well, later on in that episode, Alan kind of does stand up for himself when he's like, you know, I lost a daughter too. It's not all about you, you know? And then like Adora like turns it on him. Like she's like, why are you why are you hurting me right now? Like I didn't ask you to suffer in silence, but shut the fuck up. Adora? Oh my God. And also Adora just like talking about her her fucking uh like cut her rose thorn cut and everyone being so worried about her her not being able to make the breakfast because of her cut and then fucking vickery knowing about like how did vickery find out like i know gossips like travels fast like did one of the ladies that was at the breakfast with Camille say something to someone else and it just like made its way to Vickery that Adora cut herself and oh my god the way he just like kind of like touches the cut and she's like ouch shut the fuck up in front of your husband you might as well be fucking Vickery at that point because that's so disrespectful how are you flirting with the chief of police of the town right in front of your husband. Like, I know he's a cuckold. I know, but still, like, I thought marriage was about respect. I don't know about, well, I mean, it usually isn't. But <laughs> besides the point, irrelevant. Um, What else? Okay, so the handjob that Ashley gives John Keen, that's literally the saddest uh least lubricated depressing handjob i've ever seen it's it's even more sad because we can see at that age like you're a teenager you're in a relationship you want to do anything to please like your partner or your boyfriend but at the same time she kind of like has limits with herself like oh i'm not gonna have sex with you but i'll give you a handjob you know and at uh, when John Keen is leaving, she's so desperate for him to stay. She's willing to give up, like, having sex. She's like, I'll let you put it inside me. And he, like, completely disregards her. So it's, like, really sad. And, well, obviously, what happens afterwards, like, it's kind of traumatizing. Like, Ashley trying to protect her man by cleaning up blood that she finds under his bed. Like, that's a big old blood stain. How did anyone not see that? Like, it's... It just, it ain't adding up, sis. It ain't adding up. Um, The way that Adora is about to have a breakthrough with Camille. And Camille, it's like, you can see how much, how much Camille needs this. She needs her mom to be honest with her. She needs her mom to, like, have a genuine fucking conversation with her. And, like, show some love or some sort of affection that Camille has seen her mom give Emma. So she knows that her mom is capable of that. And she saw her mom also provide the same affection to Marion. And, again, it, it goes back to the question, like, what's wrong with me? Why doesn't my mom fucking love me? Why does she love my sisters? Like, how am I defective? How am I different? Like, you're always going to be questioning that. So... Camille is like on the verge of tears, kind of like ready for her mom to say something to her. And then Adora is like, 
you smell like alcohol, go take a fucking shower. You di- you disgust me. Basically, she's like, you smell ripe. Oh, oh my God. Adora, Adora. And then when Alan confronts Adora, Adora is like, are you acting this way because of Camille? Like she blames everything on Camille. Herself cutting herself or like Adora cutting herself with the rose thorn. Alan confronting uh, Adora about her, hey, by the way, I lost a daughter too. It's been years. Like, you never acknowledge that. And Adora is like, this is because of Camille, huh? This is because of that one bitch I birthed named Camille Preaker. Adora's like, me and all my homies hate Camille Preaker. Actually, no, because Jacqueline, Jackie O'Neill actually loves Camille. You can tell that, or she like deeply cares about her. I just don't understand. Well, I feel like it's easier to blame someone else than take accountability for what you've done and what your actions have been or how you've mistreated someone. So it's easier to be like, yeah, it's actually not my fault. I am perfect. I have I would never hurt a fly in my life. It's actually my daughter, my unstable daughter, mentally ill, uh, self-harming daughter's fault. Not I. Again, I wouldn't hurt a fly. I am the greatest person that's ever lived. I'm so sweet. I'm loved by the whole town. My daughter, though, she she has issues. Yeah. Yeah. Just FYI. Just letting y'all know. And all, the last thing, which was came out of nowhere for me, John revealing that Emma was really good friends with Natalie and Ann Nash. Um, because you we've seen how like Emma has expressed herself about those girls or how about the dead girls or how she has let her friends express themselves about the dead girls. Like, yeah, they he's not killing the popular girls, or like blah 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 blah. And it's just like you would have never known that they were friends if John Keane hadn't mentioned that. So the realization and Camille literally realizing that her sister is in danger because of what Willis said earlier in the episode. Like, it's not a coincidence that the two girls that used to play at this shed are now dead. And then, like, John Keane literally bringing up, yeah, they used to play in that, like, weird-ass, creepy-ass shed absolutely not my extreme paranoia would be on edge definitely not hate that let me think and i think uh that's it for traumatizing so let's move on to that shit's heartwarming or that shit's lighthearted. the way that vickery's wife says goodbye to him be safe today so like just like I feel like it's sweet because it's like, just get through today. That's all I'm asking you. I'm not asking you about tomorrow. I'm asking you be or stay safe today and just come home to me. I feel like that's really, it's so sweet. And you can tell that his wife is an amazing woman. Shout out to Jocelyn uh, Vickery. The flirting around the crime scene. And I mean, my girlie got to orgasm. My girlie got to come out in the woods, surrounded by nature. Was it a little weird? Yes. Did she not let Willis kiss her? Um, Yes. 
would I do anything to kiss this man and have his hand down my pants? Yes, again. <laughs> but it's just like the way they're flirting. They're just sharing like a little bottle. Maybe not the most conventional date, but a date nonetheless. A little more, a little on the morbid side. Like the type of like those emo couples who would go to like cemeteries to have dates. It's cute. I like it. I'm here for it. Uh, a date sprinkled with a bit of trauma. <laughs> Um, I feel like I just added this because we see, so when Alan and Gayla bring out the birthday cake, like we can see that they genuinely love and care for Camille. They baked her a cake. They like put the candles around her. It says happy 15th Camille. Why am I getting emotional? Like that was so random. And it's just like, Alan isn't Camille's father. Gayla is, you know, a worker at their house. But you can tell that Gayla genuinely loves Camille. And Alan, I have my thoughts about Alan, but the fact that he makes an effort. He, who showed up and brought Camille the flowers when Adora pulled the tantrum before Visitor's Day when Camille checked herself in the, into the treatment center? Alan was there. Who's there when Adora, again, is having a moment and it's Camille's 15th birthday. And I feel like it's a very, 15 is a very important birthday on in a young girl's life. In other cultures, obviously more than in American cultures because we have quinceañeras, like kind of like the Latino version of Sweet 16, but like for 15. Um, it's basically like when you become a woman, um, not really, but still. And I feel like Alan loves Adora, obviously, because he allows her to treat him like shit. And in his own way, cares about the well-being of Adora's daughters or like his daughter now, Emma. I don't know. I have thoughts, but also like Gayla just checking in with Camille when she's like in her room working on the article. Like, do you need anything else, uh, Miss Miss Camille? And then kind of like just like letting her know, like, you know, your mom, your mama may be a lot of things, but this was better than working at, at what did she said? She said two things like working at the hog farm or being like something else. And yes, like, your mama is more bark than bite. And then Camille just saying, sometimes she's both. Oh. <laughs> oh, protect Camille Preaker at all costs, even though she's a little bit of damaged goods. And then John Keen catching another spider in remembrance of his sister. Oh my God. I'm literally about to sop my little eyes out. It's so crazy that people think, or like, again, I think it goes back to that conservative small town, like mentality of just like, if you're a guy, you can't show emotions. Oh, you're sad because your sister died? You're a fucking pussy. You're sad, you're depressed because your sister was brutally murdered and her corpse was uh, 
you know, what, what was, what's the fucking word I'm looking for? Like, her teeth were pulled out of her mouth. You're sad? You're sad, little boy? You probably didn't then. It's, it doesn't add up. Like, what is wrong with people? It's normal to cry. It's actually really healthy. I don't know if that's been confirmed by a doctor, but in my opinion, I might just finish recording this video and have a good little cry. I don't know. Stay tuned. Well, I probably, I mean, don't stay tuned because I probably won't tell you. You won't know. You won't know. Well, the possibilities are very high. <laughs> but it's just like, he can't catch a break. Like, his sister dead, and now he's a murder suspect? Like, okay, it's a little sketchy that there's blood under his bed. But still, like, like this man can't even enjoy a fucking handjob. Fuck the fam. Imagine not enjoying a handjob. I mean, if it's dropped, I need to stop. I need to stop. I can't, I can't, I can't. And also, last thing, I didn't add it to my list, but when Vickery goes to Jackie's house and he's like, what is Adora not telling me about the Preaker girl? And Jackie's like, what do you mean? And she literally goes back inside and closes the door behind her. She's like, absolutely not. I will not be bad mouthing my girly pop. My girly Camille Preaker, absolutely not. And not to the chief of police. Not to chief fucking Vickery, absolutely not. She's like, bye. But I love how she flirts a little. She's like, what would your wife think of you me being here after hours? And like, actually, chief Vickery is a flirt because he's like, he she doesn't have to know. Fucking flirt, man. Man. Not all of this emotional cheating. <laughs> all right. Take it with a grain of salt. I didn't write anything down. So take it with a grain of salt. Fuck. I don't know. I was going to kink shame a little bit. I was going to be like, maybe your shirt, your, your first sexual encounter with someone shouldn't be where they just rub your clit and then you hold on to them until you come without no actual kissing but you know what you do what you gotta do like i'm not one to judge for kinks if that's what gets you going i i don't like you know who am I to judge? <laughs> Who am I to judge you for what you like sexually? So not that one. Take it with a grain of salt. Take it with a grain of salt. Don't have children if you're going to hate them. You know, there's a little, a little thing called abortion. Yes, I know that a lot of people are like, oh my god, abortion, no, baby, yes. Fuck them kids. <laughs> What's worse than a rapist? A child. <laughs> Obviously a joke. Obviously, if you haven't seen that vine, you've been living under a rock. But don't have children if you're going to hate them. Just, what? 
if you're gonna bring a child into this world you're supposed to try to make their life better not worse than you than yours i yeah and if you don't want to abort there's adoption you know like the foster care system not great but it's just like it always not shocks not surprises me i don't know i i'm i'm at a loss for words right now how are you going to be a horrible person and make your child's life or like their existence miserable when they literally love you I'm getting so emotional right now. Your child literally and that's why sometimes it's so hard to break that tie or when you have a toxic relationship with a parent because they're your parents. They're always going to be your parents. And that's why it's so hard to be like, "You know what?" And I heard this today from someone I I uh attended this like luncheon where there was a speaker and he said sometimes you got to love your family from afar and i think that's what camille was doing when she went left to st louis she's like i can't be close to home and actually i think like some relationships not all some relationships prosper with distance so just something to think about just something to fucking think about all right, we've gotten to the end of our episode. So you already know the drill. Follow the podcast on social media, on Instagram, where that show effed me up. F is spelled E-F-F-E-D. And on Twitter, where that, D-A-T, show fucked me up. Fucked is spelled without a U, so F-C-K-E-D. Give the podcast a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. It helps with visibility. It helps more people join the shared psychosis, be part of the fucked up fam. It's fun. We're so much fun out here. Right, fucked up fam? Say yes. Absolutely say yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening if you got this far. And remember, be gentle, be kind, and don't be an asshole unless you absolutely have to be. Goodbye. Goodbye.